Hello. My name is James Waldron and I'm a GP working in Nottingham and the first five lead for the Vale of Trent. And I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to the GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us at Twitter, at GP Notebook, for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing dermatology and skin of colour. Gives me great pleasure to um, introduce you today, Dr. Thuva Amuthan. Um, it's the second time he's joining us, and Thuva is a fellow First Five GP, and he's also a GP with specialist interest in dermatology and elsewhere known as Dr. Derm, a keen educator in all things skin. And I'm really glad to invite him back today. Welcome. Thank you, James, for having me back. Oh, it's great. It's great to have you back. And um, we had a really, really good um, podcast the last time. We were talking about dermatology in primary care and dermatology in the community. Um, we covered things um, around eczema and psoriasis and acne. And particularly, the thing I remember mostly from last time is that encouragement of routine, the holistic approach to dermatology care and using emollients and using even more emollients and stopping using soap. Um, but at the very end of that podcast, we touched on a little bit about treating um, different and different ethnicities and people with... Um, 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 and skin of colour. So that was that was quite interesting. And we thought we'd devote an entire episode to it because it's such an interesting topic. So I'm going to come back to you, Thuvra, with this. Why is it important that we're aware of how dermatology differs in skin of colour? Thank you, James. I, I think this is, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a very important topic and it's something close to my heart and passionate about. Now, yeah. you say, why is it important? There's a couple of reasons for that. One, historically all the textbooks all the literature has been based on caucasian skin and there's very little material available for mm. us to understand skin of color um skin and hair presentations number two is that um people of different ethnicities have different physiological and anatomical features in their skin that determines how different skin their predisposition to different conditions and how they present what treatments they need and the consequences and complications mm. they have because of that. And I think that's why it's important in a globe where mixed race is the ethnicity that's growing at the fastest rate mm. possible. We have to address this before it's too late. And in, in the UK where we're such a diverse population with the metropolitan areas, not purely being uh, diverse, but also the rural areas getting more diverse. And I think it's something that we have to address to reduce that inequality that has been forever widening yeah yeah absolutely right i couldn't agree more um so i mean what what sort of things you know if, if we were to focus on a few things today what sort of things should we be aware of what sort of things are important for us to look at you know a couple of things we have to be aware of is is the psychological impact of skin and hair conditions that can have on a person and unfortunately not a lot of things are funded on the NHS um, because of cosmetic reasons or classed as we normally know it as uh, procedures of less clinical value, PLCV. Um, and because of those, what happens is in skin of color, most patients are left 
uh, with unmet needs that mm. we as doctors have been trained or want to meet but aren't able to meet because of funding restraints or mm. restraints because of not adequate training or without knowledge to mm. how to best treat those conditions for the better outcomes for those patients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fantastically put. Um, I, I think it, in our last podcast, we talked quite a lot about um, eczema and how that presents. Um, is it any different in people um, in, in darker skin? That's a very good question. I think, uh, let me give you a bit of background to that. So what we have to remember is skin of color is more adapted to defending itself against skin because of the origin of equatorial areas where you know, commonly a darker color skin is seen uh, mm. because it has to defend against the skin and protect itself by using melanin to diffract that oh, light. And um, now we know that type five, six skin is more easy. It does easily tan compared to burn, whereas type one, two, three tans, um, Tan type one doesn't tan as much, but it burns more easily. Whereas yeah. type two tends to tan very slightly, but burns also very easily as well. And because of that nature of that skin, what it means is when you have any inflammation or injury to skin from a skin conditions, you have a consequential scarring and mm. pigmentations that's much more significant in skin of color than the Caucasian skin. So yeah. that's any condition, whether that be dermatitis, acne, leaves a much more pronounced scar and pigmentation in skin of color. And, you know, yeah. for, a, for, a, for a teenager or for someone who's, you know, out there in, on a day-to-day -day basis having any social interaction for that matter, our face part is the first thing anyone sees. And, you know, if mm. your confidence is knocked by some uh, mark or pigmentation or a cosmetic or a skin condition itself, that has a huge impact on someone's confidence and psychology. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you were talking about funding in the NHS. It seems that cosmetic procedures and improving people's psychology in dermatology, at least, is not necessarily always at the top of the agenda. But I mean, it sounds like in a lot of cases, it can have a really profound effect and impact on people. So it might be something that we as primary care physicians can improve on and think about in the future. You mentioned scarring. You mentioned pigmentation as well. Do skin conditions, particularly eczema, do they present differently? Uh, you're, you're right. You know, just to, just to address your point there, I think I think, you know, we all understand this funding restraint. So I think what we can do is be advocates for the patients and, you know, learn little things that we can do to make sure that mm. the outcomes are better. Um, mm. So that's what hopefully what we'll delve into that in a little yeah. bit more detail in a second. Um, but now the other things, uh, like you said, is lichenification from eczema is, is mm. much more significant uh, in skin of color, um, especially pigmented lichenification because mm. it looks a lot more pronounced than, uh, you know, if it was the usual skin color. Um in, in skin of color, there, there, yeah. there has been suggestion that eczema can present in a follicular pattern. So you may not get mm. the normal confluent, uh, you know, well-defined eczematous patch that you typically right. get. It can become, it can appear to be a follicular, so mm. sort of almost like folliculitis, um, yeah. follicular, dark, papular pattern of eczema you can see in um, skin of color. That, that mm. is something that's been suggested. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you also mentioned um, identification and treatment well um, to help prevent these long-term complications. What sort of things can we do better in practice to to help prevent those long-term complications with with eczema, for instance? 
that's again, yeah. So very good point. And um, the what we what I tend to uh, advocate is 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 the reinforcement of those fundamental principles. You know, emollient soap. I don't keep banging on about it. Avoid the soap. <laughs> you wash with emollient. Liberal emollients because that's what's going to reduce your. Uh, that's going to improve your cosmetic outcome long term because you have less flares, therefore less likely to scar. Um, the thing that we can do as clinicians, I guess, is step up management quickly. Uh, if it's not working, reconsider your diagnosis. Is it actually eczema? Could it be something else that's going on? Do you need to refer on early to avoid that impact? Because, you know, like I say again, if it's not managed appropriately, they have a scar left and there's nothing we can do about it. That point is too late. Maybe refer them on earlier on if you're unsure about it um, compared to their counterparts. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, and I mean, I think that one of the things about stepping up is, again, that might cause people some worry is using potent steroids um, on dark skin. Have you any uh, any thoughts on that? Anything that you could reassure us or anything that we need to be careful of, particularly using potent steroids? So, uh, As a principle, below below the neck, uh, I tend to go for uh, betnovate for treating flares and maybe umivate for maintenance. Uh, it's my standard go-to. Now, of course, you know, with prolonged cause use of topical steroids, you know, you, you've got the risks such as hyperpigmentation, skin mm. thinning, that those are present, but it's a balance of risks and benefits in a psychological or even, you know, physiological well-being. If they've got severe flaring eczema, it's important to treat that. Mm. They can't just ignore that. And in that case, you might, again, even step up to demovate just for temporarily just to mm. dampen things down uh, to get it under control and then maintenance uh, long term. And again, this is where it comes. I know I keep going banging on about it. Routine, <laughs> routine, routine, where you <laughs> fix everything else that you can possibly fix around that. And I guess... Um, not often, but you know, in, in rare cases where you're still struggling to manage that eczema adequately, you might consider um, other allergic causes and stuff like that as well. Mm. But that's a very rare, rare situation. I don't advocate that in a routine eczema management plan at all. Brill, thank you very much for that. Well, so I mean, eczema is, uh, I suppose, one of the one, or if not the most common thing that we see dermatologically um, in general practice. Um, are there any other particular areas that we should be aware of when treating um, patients? Um, you know, specific ones uh, yes you're absolutely right there, there, there are a lot of conditions that are particularly more susceptible in skin of color um just to name a few you know like we talked about pigmentation already um and there's you know scarring keloid scarring is an example mm. uh hair loss there's particular patterns of hair loss that impacts um, a lot of um women in skin of color um that has again a huge psychological burden and folliculitis because again of the nature of the hair follicle that's different in ethnicities uh of color um and of course the biggest one uh that's most apparent vitiligo mm. yeah, brilliant well i mean if it's okay i've come to a couple of those for some specific examples i mean we mentioned something about hyperpigmentation with uh, long-term inflammation um you also mentioned melasma. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know it's a, a big worry for some patients. You're right. You know, we get we often get um, patients coming into practice uh, asking about pigmentation, pigmentation on their you know face, body, whatever. And it's 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 important that we have some understanding of that. Now, um, the first thing I do want to say is that we need to be able to identify what is post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation and what's mel uh, what's what's an active rash or an active condition. And of course, and then 
the worser one of the hyperpigmentative orders, disorders is melasma. Um, so to identify post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, it tends to be in areas, for example, in acne, where you've had an acne spot, the papules uh, or pustule has burnt itself out and you've left a mark. That would be post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, as the name says. Okay. Melasma, however, is a condition that affects all ethnicities, um, particularly women around the time of pregnancy or if they're on the oral contraceptive pill. And it tends to be a, a larger pigmentary patch appears typically on the face, uh, cheeks, foreheads, it could be anywhere. Um, and as if you can imagine that, that a large pigmentary mark can have an impact psychologically significantly on a person, um, especially if they're worried about how they, uh, what their appearance is, and that obviously impacts on their confidence. Now, unfortunately, over time, the CCGs across the country have called back on treating that, uh, not because, you know, um, of any particular reason, but melasma in itself is a condition that's uh, quite difficult to treat. It's a condition you can maintain, just like eczema, but mm -hmm. it's impossible to cure. So it's a, it's a difficult condition to treat, and it, uh, the, the treatment creams and things are quite expensive. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons that's been called back. So, um, so again, there's an unmet need for myeloid patients mm -hmm. uh, with regards to the pigmentary disorders here. Hmm, definitely. And it seems like one where we might seek some advice from the community dermatology clinic, but also just appreciate that it exists and it's a real problem for some patients. We talked about post-inflammatory pigmentation there. We also mentioned scars with acne, and that was something that it sounds like it'd be a, a really big part of a problem. Could you tell us a bit more about acne scarring and maybe scarring in general? Um, I think, you know, again, this is a very important point. Acne um, has a huge impact on on any teenage person that when they would start flaring up or even later in life, because one, because of the appearance of the acne themselves, the pupils and pustules, but two, because of the significant scarring that can result from acne. That's why it's important to get through the steps and manage them appropriately so that we don't let them scar because once they're mm. scarred, there's no treatment in the NHS for them. Now what's worse in skin of color, like we talked about is the ability to produce melanin makes those scars, not just, severe but also pigmented which means if you compare the same level of scarring in a caucasian skin to mm. a, a colored person's skin it will look much more worse when skin of color because of that pigmented nature of it um so and of course unfortunately there is nothing we can do to treat that we can only treat the acne the racutane will only treat active acne it does not treat scars and there is nothing on the nhs we can offer them for that scarring this is why i advocate very rapid escalation of management in patients of color. Treclin, like I said, is the go-to. Tretinoin, which is essentially a topical version of isotretinoin, it's yeah, the right, strongest right, topical yeah. you can get on prescription on the mm. NHS um, as the first step in mild acne. If it's moderate, straight onto oral antibiotics, tetracyclines, that doesn't work, then at six to eight weeks point, refer on. Don't, don't hold them back, refer on. We might then... Um, if they're in contraindication to racutane, try a stronger antibiotic. If not, move them straight onto racutane so that we can get it under control. Because like I say again, <laughs> for, I don't know how many times I've said it, there is no treatment for scarring on the NHS and people yeah. have to live with that for the rest of their life. Yeah. So early identification, taking it seriously and being aware of these problems later on in life um, for our patients. Really, really helpful advice. Thanks. We also talked a bit before about scars such as hypertrophic and keloid scars. What can we do about those? It's something that can be quite limited under the NHS, but what can we do to help our patients? 
Thank you. Um, again, unfortunately, skin of color is more prone to keloiding. Um, and that can happen because, you know, as simple as an insect bite, a scratch, or a post-op wound as well. Okay. And um, there is not a lot we can do on the NHS for keloids, unfortunately. The things that um, I think we can do in general practice are things such as, you know, potent or super potent Dermavate or Betnavate creams to try to reduce or relieve symptoms, pain, itching, all those kind of things. Um, and then the other ones that tend to work better because of their better compliance is Helan tape. It's the steroid impregnated tape. I tend to find and literature reports work better because of their compliance, obviously, because you have to rely on that person <laughs> to put it on every day. Whereas healing tape, you just stick it on, forget about it and change it every day. Um, and the more stronger one of that is betacyl tape, which is betnovate, impregnating betamate. Uh, that's even stronger, um, can help uh, and can be prescribed at the discretion of the GP. It's not <laughs> recommended commissioning practice. Uh, it's at the discretion of you, but you can obviously prescribe the steroid creams um, to help them. Um, but really and truly, the treatment that they need is interlesional steroids. They need injected steroids into that keloid and laser and surgical excision, if it's still no better, mm -hmm. and uh, a further course of um, steroids to um, to reduce the chance of recurrence. Because that's the nightmare with keloids, is that if, even if you cut it off, the chance of recurrence is significantly high. So we have to minimize that. Now, the only way you can get that on the NHS is if you do an, if the GP um, can consider an individual funding request and get that approved by the CCG where it's impacting. It's in the middle of an orifice where it's blocking, it's catching on a uh, garment or any other clothes, or if it's inflamed significantly requiring antibiotics or it meets those funding criteria that are set by the local CCGs. And of course, then you have to see if there is a local service that will do that for you. Luckily in Birmingham, we do that uh, at the Medals Community Service, um, but you'll have to find out if there is a local service that will treat that for you. And yeah. commonly, the hospital uh, dermatology departments will have lasers and may, may be able to do that if they have the funding. Yeah, so again, it's a commissioning sort of thing. and But again, maybe a really good chance to to speak to your local dermatology, you know, general practice dermatology clinic and to find out about those things. But, you know, as we've talked about many times, counselling the patient about what to expect and risk of recurrence sounds very, very helpful. Um, another thing, I, when we were sort of discussing this before, one thing that surprised me a bit was the amount of alopecia um, and um, difficulties with hair that you see. Can you sort of outline that as a problem? And you were also talking about traction alopecia, which was uh, quite fascinating. That's that's right. So uh, there's a lot of alopecia that impacts skin of color patients because of the nature of the hair follicle and the physiological differences in the hair follicle. Um, now, alopecia, traction alopecia in particular, um, it, it can be quite significantly related to cultural practices. Some of that might be, um, you know, in, in um, Afro-Caribbean women, it's, it's laying their lines where they use pomade, thick pomade, greasy pomades to lay their lines, which can cause, obviously, uh, comodomal acne. Um, and, of course, um, traction alopecia when you're, uh, you know, using tight hairdressings where you're trying to plait your hairs, cane rows and things like that because of the significant pressure they put on the hair follicle and gradually um, yank the hair out and that causes mm. damage to the hair follicle. And over decades, if you continue with that practice, that can lead to permanent hair loss that's irreversible. Really? So it all comes down to counselling. And the other group that we have to also remember is um, Sikh men who uh, really tightly coil their hair under the turban. That mm. also impacts with um, traction there as well. 
and that you know that is is identifying that as a potential uh cause and addressing that early on because once it's gone it's gone sure so with traction alopecia once they have traction alopecia that the hair's not not going to come back you can stop it from getting worse but you know even in private practice and all the therapies that we have you know minoxidil prp is really really hard to regrow hair that's mm. gone permanently Mm, gosh yeah so certainly something that i i hadn't considered very much before but we should be really aware of um, and again sticking on the hair uh, the hair theme uh, the last thing i think we're going to talk about was folliculitis um and again i didn't recognize that this was such an issue um in 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 skin of color can you tell us a bit more about that oh, sure um so if, again if we go back to the nature of hair follicles um afro-caribbean hair follicle tends can can be um curly um to coiled type hair and the hair follicle itself is oval to elliptical in comparison to caucasian hair which is oval shaped follicle and can be straight to curly um you know still curly but not as curly um an asian hair, hair which tends to be round to slightly oval shaped um but the hair tends to be straight or wavy so what mm. the, what that the impact of that is that the more curly the hair is the more likely it's to ingrow especially if you cut it flat. So one of the biggest things I advise patients is to never cut your hair flat if you're suffering from folliculitis because the flatter it is, the more the, the higher the chance of it growing back and causing a follicular uh, folliculitis at that site. Um, the other things to consider are, um, I know, um, collared t-shirts, helmets and things that can irritate those areas because uh, that can cause folliculitis. And um, now, um, starting with the, you know, probably the uh, the first of those conditions is pseudofolliculitis barbe. It's the condition that mimics folliculitis when teenagers start shaving. Um, again, if you have hair, if you have a curly hair, it's more likely to ingrow and cause the pseudofolliculitis barbe being the beard area. So again, they're more likely to be affected, and it's typically seen in men that condition. Now, the worst of those conditions in the folliculitis family is it's a condition referred to as acne chilodialysis nusha, or also known as chilodial folliculitis. Now, it typically happens in the nape of the neck, the back of the neck where there is folliculitis that leads to keloid formation. The papules that you get from folliculitis there become keloids and they can be um, sort of collective, couple of papules together, or you can even collace and become a plaque God. of scarring, keloid scarring at the neck. And that is a condition that needs urgent treatment. Please do not sit on that. If you see that, get them on regular antibiotics, and some topical steroids may help and refer them on to dermatology, your local dermatology department, so they can see what they can do to either escalate um, antibiotic therapy or add in, again, interlesional steroids and lasers if funding is allowed in that area where there is permission for that service to treat that as soon as possible. Because, again, once that scarring mm. is in place, one, you get hair loss there permanently. Two, it's it's a common area that's visible when you're walking around and about. So it has a huge psychological mm. impact for mm. anyone suffering from that. Yeah. And again, I suspect you mentioned before the likelihood of hyperpigmentation as well with the chronic inflammation, which just adds further difficulties there, doesn't it? And I suppose the last thing, and again, I just because I want to talk about it because it's, it's commonly encountered, uh, was vitiligo um, and that sort of impact. And how can we how can we help our patients with with that problem? 
I know I'm probably saying the same thing again. again. It all comes down to early identification and appropriate referral where required. Vitiligo is again a condition that we we understand so much, but not not well enough yet. So it's a matter of um, the treatment principle are essentially switch, one identifying and making sure it is vitiligo and not some uh, you know not um, hyperpigmentation due to another disorder like eczema, um, and then two um, adequate um, therapy with either potent topical steroids or even uh, alternative therapy like tacrolimus protopic long-term mm -hmm. so that we can switch off that inflammatory reaction or action so that we minimize that progression of condition. So the treatment aim is minimizing or halting progression. That's the treatment aim of vitiligo because reversal is very difficult. Mm -hmm. But in some cases, you may get some slight results if you persist with a adequate maintenance therapy. But again, this needs to be managed in uh, secondary care, really, or community mm -hmm. dermatology, where we have um, some expertise in vitiligo. So it's identification and referral early on is the key here. And again, like you said, it's abundant in skin of color. Yeah. Yeah. And then I suppose following that, if you do have those more permanent skin color changes, again, it's the whichever is available locally for cosmetic changes because it affects patients. You're right. Most of the treatment, it, it comes down to camouflage, uh, unfortunately, because like I said, repigmentation is a really, really difficult process. Um, but, you know, if if we halt the progress of the condition and treat it adequately, there is uh, there they will have the best chance of repigmentation, if any. Excellent. Well, brilliant. I mean, well, thank you so much, Dr. Mutham. You know, we've covered a huge amount today. I suppose I think there's going to be lots of uh, people listening at home. They're going to be thinking, how can I learn more about this? So uh, what, what sort of resources might we be able to access to help learn more about dermatology in, in skin of colour? Um, what would you recommend? So uh, there's two things that come to mind. Um, the British Association of Dermatologists do uh, skin of colour day on day uh, on uh, every year typically falls in january so if you google that that's a good resource the whole day uh, or two of teaching on skin of good conditions which is really useful the other one is the nottingham university website it has a very good resource index of all the resources of skin of color dermatological conditions which Amazing. is really useful and of course if ever you want to reach out to me you can always go on our website drderm.com and there's a query form at the top submit photos and your details and someone will get back to you Brilliant. Yeah. And also the uh, the Black the Black Country Skin Club as well, um, where you're running some some educational events. So I think that's that could be really helpful for people too. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So we we be the Black Country Skin Club. We're doing a face to face event every other month and a virtual event every other month. So last Wednesday of the month. So if you Google Black Country Skin Club, you should be able to sign up for that. And we'll definitely be covering Signal Club there extensively. Brilliant. Well, Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Muthan. It's been really, really interesting. I've certainly learned a heck of a lot about early identification of, of conditions, being aware of the ways that they might present differently, and also where we want to be treat, treating things a little bit more vigorously to start off with, to make sure that we prevent that inflammatory um caused uh, hyperpigmentation and scarring and, and and just just be aware of the differences in our ever um increasingly multicultural population which is you know really fascinating to hear about that and um, we would love to have you back at another time i'm sure we can find some other great topics uh, to, to cover um but thank you so much for your time it's been great thank you dr warren it's been great too so thank you all for listening we hope you found this podcast helpful 
please do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com. And we'd be very grateful if you would consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at GP Notebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Thank you very much. <laughs>